This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. I'm looking at the plane and just having a hard time comprehending how that happened. And we're talking and I'm like, I don't get why the gear retracted. I go, I know I put it down, I checked it. So I walked back up to the plane, walked up in the wing and looked in the cockpit. Shaft gear levers in the up position. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I failed to put the gear down. Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations and we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today's guest is Todd Clark. Todd lives and flies out of one of the most beautiful places in the world, Kalispell, Montana. He's a private pilot with over 700 hours of flight time. He started flying in 2005, and today he's gonna share with us a story about a gear up incident in his Mooney M20J. Todd, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I saw a post that you made recently on Facebook, you and our Facebook friends, and it seemed a really interesting story, and you were willing to share it with our audience. So do you mind share with us uh, the story of what happened in your Mooney that day? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it, it took me about a month before I was really comfortable in, in talking about it. It shook me up pretty badly. It, it was one of those things. I wasn't scared, nothing, nothing like that. It was just the whole just dealing with the fact that I did what I did. We'd been having some uh, events here in town. It was during the whole COVID kind of lockdown situation. And they were organizing these cruise events where people were pulling out their classic cars and pickups and whatever, you name it. It's Montana. You can just imagine. So there were a few thousand people out with cars driving up and down main street. And um, they did it one weekend. And I had toyed with the idea of pulling the plane out and, flying up and down main street and seeing what the, what it all looked like from up above. And the first week I, I didn't do it. And I, I regretted doing that. So the, the second week I decided I, I was going to do that. So Friday I pulled the plane out and the underside was a little oily and I'm thinking, well, that's going to be embarrassing if I'm flying up and down. People are looking cause I knew I'd get attention with it. And so I cleaned the underside of the plane and got it all washed up and pulled it out and went and left. And, um, it was, it was awesome. It was it was so neat seeing the city like that and seeing everybody finally out because our, our streets have been pretty much empty for you know what month or so prior. 
so flew up and down the Main Street, and now part of Main Street here in Kalispell parallels my runway, uh, which is Kalispell City Airport, or my airport, Kalispell City Airport. So while doing this flight, every time I would do the full circuit of Main Street and the, the town or the city, I'd come back, and I was always in the downwind leg of runway 13, which was the active runway at the time. And so, Todd, just to catch up with you, so you're just going to fly over a couple thousand feet above the town, just kind of looking down on all the uh, festivities that are going on with people finally kind of beginning to come back outdoors from the COVID situation, right? Just enjoying a beautiful uh, Montana afternoon and seeing it from the air. Exactly. It, it, I thought it would give me a different perspective as opposed to being down on the ground with everybody, kind of fun to see it up above and, and just see how widespread everybody really was and how many people were out. And doing this, every loop that I'd make of, of the, the city, I was in the, the pattern for um, Kalispell City Airport. So I was constantly making radio calls. I'm sure I annoyed a few of them on the ground with every time I'm reporting that I'm you know, entering the pattern and downwind, but not landing and continuing on. And so I did this probably about a half hour or so. And then I got a message from friends that had seen me and they're like, oh, you're up, I want to go. So I landed and picked up a friend and we went up and flew the circuit, I don't know, probably another 30 minutes or so. And same thing, passed over the airport, making the radio calls each time and going along and taking pictures and getting video. And some of the, some of the videos that were actually taken of the event from the plane kind of went viral here locally. That was neat to see a lot of people reacting to that the videos, uh, other people being able to share that view of seeing the whole event from up above. So then landed and decided to get fuel and taxi over the other side of the airport and topped off with fuel. And then uh, another friend came by and this one, uh, the guy that went with me the second time, he's flown with me numerous times. We've, we've done lots of cross country trips out to Oregon, various places and over to Great Falls and Thing so he he's he's got a fair amount of time in the aircraft with me and we went up and we're flying along and doing the same thing and he was loving it although I think he was paying more attention to the flying aspect of it than the seeing everybody on the ground he really seemed to and he enjoys flying and so we we broke off of the circuit and went up and looked at a few other things in the valley this was one of the only times he'd ever flown with me where we're low speed I fly a Mooney and. A lot of us Mooney drivers, it's just everything firewalled and we go. And so it was kind of an interesting perspective, I think, for him of actual slow flight in, in my plane. And we toured around and looked at a couple areas in a, a house that I was actually considering buying and had him take some pictures of that as we circled around it. And we came back and flew the circuit down to the south end of the town where the airport is. And we're coming up and I made the radio call that, you know, we're in downwind and it was starting to get dusk at that point. And I think, you know, let's go ahead and land. So I'm in downwind. I'm already slow. I'm already at pattern altitude. And I'm now at this point getting ready to do a base turn. So I grabbed the checklist. Well, at this point, I'm already halfway through the checklist in my position of the, the field and everything. And so that's what I did. I looked at the checklist about halfway down and started running through it real quick and Got everything set up and turned base and dropped some flaps and it's nice and slow. Everything was going well. Turned final, full flaps, crossing the numbers, thinking, man, everything is smooth, which was kind of surprising because it was actually windy that day. I just cannot believe how smooth it was. And 
think of this is going to be a great landing flared. Everything felt great. And then kind of a slight jarring sensation and then the sound. And I, I immediately knew at that point I couldn't just start shutting everything down, master fuel mags, everything. And we just slid down the runway. We come to a stop and my pastor, he looks at me, he's like, what's going on? What happened? And I'm like, we just landed without our gear. And so we come sliding to a stop and he's just sitting there like, wow, that was weird. You know, he, he didn't know how to react to it. And I'm like, get out, hurry up, get out. Because at that point, all I could think about was 30 minutes prior, we had topped off with fuel and we'd only been in the air for 30 minutes with reduced power. And so I knew we were, we were sitting on essentially full wings full of fuel. And I could smell something burning at that point. So I was like, get out. So we did. And once we got out, but there was no fuel smell, nothing anywhere. And the, the burning sensation, the more I thought about it afterwards, it was the paint on the underside. It had just gotten hot from the friction of the plane sliding down the runway. And then as we're standing there, I'm, I'm looking at the plane and just having a hard time comprehending how that happened. And we're talking, and I'm like, I don't get why the gear retracted. I go, I know I put it down. I checked it. So I walked back up to the plane, walked up on the wing and looked in the cockpit and sure enough, gear levers in the up position. I just walked away right then. I mean, totally defeated that there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I failed to put the gear down, but I, I swear I did. I swear I checked it. I went through everything. It was, I, I could not comprehend that I had just done that. So as you look back on it, what do you think happened? What caused the, uh, the distraction, the inattention, or what set you up for that situation? It's interesting that you ask that because I, I spent the next probably 48 hours with uh, very minimal sleep and just thinking about the incident and replaying it over and over. And I, I do think I've pieced together what happened. The way my normal flying is I, I do a lot of cross-country flights. And here in Kalispell, we're in a valley. So we've got very rugged mountains all around us, and I usually fly to the east. So coming in, I'm, I'm coming in very high over the mountains, and then there's fairly, you know, it's fairly close into the, into the valley to get down. So I, I enter the valley very high and very fast, and as I come in and enter the pattern, the very first thing I do is I put my gear down. I use my gear to get myself slowed up. If I don't, there, there's typically no way I can gracefully get slowed up to pattern speed by 90 knot target by the time I clear the mountains. So what I think happened in my mind was when I made the decision to land, I was already past the point where when I come into land, my gear is always down. It has to be down in order for me to be at that altitude and that speed. And I think in my brain, since I was short on time and I just grabbed the list and started in the middle, I looked at where I would be in the checklist at my midfield point and my gear at that point would already be down because in my mind, I think what it is is I just, I knew there was no way I would be at pattern altitude and speed without my gear down. I use my gear as my speed brakes basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Moonies are known to be a fast airplane, very slippery airframe, low drag, and they can be difficult to slow down 
Fortunately, you have a relatively high gear speed, so which is what you're mentioning is a is a good way to help yourself slow down. And they have speed brakes, right? Does the M20J have speed brakes? Some of them do. Mine does not. So I, I do rely heavily on on my gear to get slowed up. You know, as you as you fly a Mooney, it is something that you have to work through as being able to anticipate arriving so that you can get slowed down to get your gear down and then flying it on speed. You know, the famous Mooney bunny hops, so when people land Moonies uh, too fast, you can get yourself into the Mooney bunny hop. So speed control in a Mooney is, uh, is important. And so you're out of your normal habit flow because you've been at reduced power, reduced speed, and it's that whole expectation bias thing where what you saw, what you expected to see. Even after you landed, you thought, I knew I put the gear down. That's exactly it. I was in total denial after getting out of the aircraft that then I'm thinking to myself, did the gear collapse? Did it retract? What happened? Because there was no way in my mind, absolutely no way possible that I did not put the gear down. And then seeing the position of the, the, the lever that I removed all doubt, it was me. And it seems like the setup is what we've seen in uh, most inadvertent gear up landings is something different, something out of the normal habit pattern, out of the normal flow, whether it's a distraction or a different way to enter the pattern or a different arrival procedure, something changes the typical behavior, which is exactly what happened in your case. You hit it right on the head. And I had multiple things that were out of the norm in that one. And I think another factor in it was the routine, the normal routine. You're, you're making your radio calls. You're, you're in a, you, you are in a routine at that point. Well, I was out of that because of all the times I'd overflown the airport that evening. I'd made so many downwind radio calls. It didn't seem unusual. I, I think in my brain, making that downwind call and everything with it, I'd, I'd already been into the sequence. I was already halfway through the sequence. And So as you think back on it, what are your lessons learned? What have you changed in your habit pattern to prevent that in the future? It's going to be 100% checklist, checklist, checklist. If there is anything, anything out of the norm, it's going to be extend, give more time, do whatever. I simply became too complacent with the aircraft. I think initially I was probably I was probably better off with it when I first got it and it was a little bit ahead of me. But then when I, I've become so comfortable with the plane, it's just an extension of me, which is not a bad thing, but I, I think I just became complacent that I've got all this where when I was a little a little nervous of the aircraft, I think I paid more attention. One of the things I think about is I have the same concern. You know, I fly different airplanes. I'll fly uh, retractable gear and fixed gear. So getting in a habit pattern to where I can confirm that every time is very much on my mind. And I like to confirm when I'm in the pattern, gear down at the perch, which is the 180 out point from your touchdown point when you're on downwind. And then at the 500 foot point, which is usually halfway through base turn, and then crossing the landing threshold or crossing the landing environment, I should say. And the reason is because I realized that the first two are great if you're flying a normal pattern, but that still doesn't get a final check when you're flying a straight in or when you, when you enter the pattern from a non-standard situation, which is why I added the 500 feet and then the crossing the landing environment. So I don't know if those are kind of safeguards that 
I try to put in place in the flying I do retractable gear airplanes because my concern is exactly what happened to you is that what's my safeguard when things are non-standard or I'm out of my normal flow because that's when it's likely to happen. Yes, I've got to adopt something like that. I know in the pattern when I put my gear down, when I check it, and I do that, I, I check it numerous times, and this time I just, I didn't. And that was part of why I was in such disbelief after we got out of the aircraft that it's like, what happened? Why I put the gear down, I checked it, I know I did. At that point, I, I would have pretty much bet my life on the fact that I put that gear down. And it was not until I looked back at it and saw the switch was up that I knew then, nope, this was me. Interesting. This was your third flight of the day. It had been a pretty long day. Do you think fatigue was a factor at all? I don't know if fatigue was. It may have been just the excitement of the event and what I was doing and different passengers. And I, I don't really know if fatigue would be a good one. Maybe, maybe some anxiety because there there was the the sudden rush that evening um, when I finally decided that, yes, I was going to do this flight. I'd pulled the plane out. One of my concerns was the underbelly of the plane was, it was dirty. I hadn't cleaned it in a while. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm flying over this event, if anybody's taking pictures or something, <laughs> I don't want that to be the picture of, you know, the underside of my plane being dirty. So I was, I was in a hurry. I got into there and got some solvent and got it all cleaned up and got my clothes changed and got this thing out. There was a lot leading up to that flight that day. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd really call it fatigue, more probably anxiety. Hey listeners, do you love aviation? Did you know that general aviation contributes billions to the U.S. economy every year and is a vital pipeline for military and commercial pilot force? AOPA works to ensure the vitality of the general aviation industry and supports our freedom to fly. Join us and become a member now at AOPA.org. You'll become part of a worldwide community of aviation enthusiasts. We'd love to have you. I'm also curious about the Mooney systems. Is there any kind of warning tone that you get when the power's back or you got a sync rate or anything like that in the Mooney? It's funny you should bring that up. There is. There is a, a gear horn, and it's based on throttle position. So they, they claim manifold pressure, but it's just a, a switch on the on the throttle when when power is pulled back to a certain point if the gear is not down it gives a a tone and buzzes at you and i know that system works because uh, as we had talked about earlier my typical flying is cross country and in the valley here clearing the mountains i'm high altitude well i can get my power way back when I, once i enter the in, enter the valley in order to get down and the norm is I'll reduce power and it'll be a gradual over a couple minute period, but then I'll get down to close enough to idle that then the gear horn goes off and then I, I bump the power up enough to, to get it to quiet itself down until I'm close enough to get the gear down. Yeah. This time this time the horn actually did not work. And I verified that. My concern was was that is this one of those events where you hear about it where the horn's going off. You can hear it in the either a, a, a cockpit voice recorder or a, a radio call that somebody makes or something. You can hear the horn in the background. So before we got the plane jacked back up, once we got everybody there, 
I was actually thinking about that. That did my horn go? Uh, did it? So I reached in. I turned the master back on just to see what was if the and nope, there was no no alarm. So the, the that system failed. And as I've explained to people, because a lot of people that don't really fly ask that same question of, don't those have systems in them that you can't do that? They'll let you know and everything. It's a guess, but ironically enough, mine did not work. So then they try to say, oh, that's what happened. No, that's not, that's not what happened. That, it, this was still me. It may have saved me from doing it, but I don't fault that system for not working. Yeah, and to your point, what we've learned is that so many times those are not heard in the moment, you know, for whatever reason, whatever's causing the distraction or the focus on landing or whatever. Pilots often report they just never heard it or there was something they remember in hindsight, something was really annoying them at the time and it turned out, you know, it was a gear horn or something. So we've learned over time that those are really not a great way to rely on that as your preventive measure we've just learned that that's not enough yes and and, and in all of the all of my flights with that plane i do hear the horn from time to time because of the events where i have had to reduce power significantly to to shut altitude or, or for whatever reason so i'm used to hearing it go off and it has never gone off to the point where I was like, oh, my gear. It it is never, I've never needed it to remind me to put my gear down. So I do find it kind of ironic that the one time I really could have used it, it didn't actually work. So uh, what's the status of your airplane now? Right now, it has cleared all of the, all of the insurance approvals and everything. And it is waiting. I've, a new prop has been ordered. I'm waiting for the new prop to either arrive or a loaner prop to be found, and then it will be flown out of here. I'll ferry it out of here to a, a facility and have it rebuilt. You know, surprisingly, a gear-up landing usually doesn't do much damage to the airframe at all. It, it's the prop in the engine that's the biggest concern. I was shocked at how at how little damage there actually was. And one thing it did, it, it's kind of funny, and thinking back on it and looking at the aircraft the next day after I'd kind of recovered from what had happened and got rolled around underneath it in the hangar and got a good look at it. It, it, it answered a question that I'd, I've debated in my mind numerous times. I've read countless articles on it and opinions and everything. But if you have a gear failure and you know your gear doesn't work and you've got smooth turf to land on or asphalt, which would you choose? And after this incident, I learned beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'll, I'll put it down on asphalt every time. It was so smooth. It slid along. The J-Model Mooney, the entry step, is a fixed step. It was on the asphalt. It ground part of it off, and it bent it slightly. But I honestly believe, had I landed that in the grass, as the plane slowed down, that would have dug in and potentially caused more damage or caused the plane to significantly do a 180 or, or flip or something. Where landing it on the asphalt, I think at that speed, I think asphalt's the way to go. And I think also, Todd, the great decision you made was it seems like that in the flare at the first impact, you knew immediately, oh, no, my gear's up. And you accepted it, pulled the power back, started shutting things off to optimize the safety of your airplane. We have had cases where at that moment, people realized it and attempted a go-around. And it usually ends disastrously because, you know, your prop's been damaged and, you know, all kinds of issues there. 
So, you know, I commend you on, it sounds like in the moment, you immediately realized it and just accepted it and did the best you could from then. It's funny you say that, yes, because there, there was not even, not even the thought of trying to save it at that point. Once I knew I made contact with the ground, it's like, no, there, it's just shut her down. Todd, you had mentioned that you had a lot going on in, in your life over the past year. And so I'm also wondering, were there some sort of subconscious distractions going on in your mind at the time that might have been a factor? Yes, and there there, there could be. Um, I've been in a job for um, the last five years, and the beginning of the year it was announced that the company that I was working for was being sold. And then after the sale started progressing along, the new owners and meeting with the new owners and everybody with the company was kind of on edge of what, what, what am I going to do? What are, you know, what, what are salaries going to be? All the normal questions. Well, then when I had my talk with them, it was basically told that what I was doing for them, which was technical work, IT work, that they outsourced all of it and that they didn't have a need for me anymore. And, and to, to give them credit, they, they knew at my salary level and everything, there weren't many positions within the company that I could do that would be comparable to what I was doing, but they, they did come up with a couple. And one of them was being in sales. And yes, I, I would have made comparable money in sales, but that's just, that's not, that's not me. I, I'm a, I'm a technical person. The sales part did not interest me. So that would, that was a pretty hard blow to be told, you know, at, at a place you were comfortable with and felt you had a, a future with as well as room to grow in, in to then within a couple month period being told, we don't have a use for you for what you do, or we don't have a use for what you do, I should say. And how long was that before your incident? It was about six weeks. Yeah, it was, it was about six weeks after I found that news out. And then with it, I mean, I, I was fortunate the the place that I had been working at prior to all of this um, was very interested in me coming back to them full time. I'd been helping them out here and there while I was gone, but they, they wanted me back full time. So that, that helped. And the, the irony is, is uh, about two weeks before the, the incident, I moved back into the other company and right back into the exact same office that I had had before. I have the, uh, the propeller from the, the, the plane that I actually first soloed in and got my license in and everything. I have that mounted on the wall here. And it, it was kind of a bittersweet as I was climbing up to hang it up and get all the measurements, I could see where they had patched the holes from where I had it hanging before. So it, <laughs> it made it really easy to put it, put it back in the same spot. But at the same time, as I was sitting in my, my office sitting, looking around, it was like, it was like the previous five years had never happened. Huh. Yeah. And so that, that, that really, that really hit me hard. And it, it, it put me into a, you know, a pretty good depression for a while about it. And, you know, put a strain on, on my relationships and everything, because I was not, I was not a very pleasant person to be around. I was, I was pretty upset over all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting that the sort of subconscious mental stress that can be going on and the impact that may have on our flying and who knows, perhaps it had an impact on you that day. Well, Todd, we're glad that uh, you walked away and so thankful that you're willing to share your story with us. All of us who fly retractable gear airplanes should really think about this and realize that any of us could find ourselves in that situation. It could happen to any of us. So what are the protection measures we can put in place to make sure that we've got the gear down? So thanks so much for sharing your story. 
Oh, you're most welcome. Uh, yeah, anybody that can learn from my my mistakes, welcome to it. And that's how inadvertent gear up landings happen. Something is different, a different process, a different pattern entry, a different flow, a distraction diverts the attention away from ensuring that the gear is down. Gear warning tones and lights oftentimes don't help the situation. For whatever reason, they too get overlooked, so they're not something we can rely on. And so the best remedy is to put in place specific parameters where you confirm your gear is down. This is outside your normal checklist. It's very specific confirmation that the gear is down at different points so that you will always cross those points no matter what process you're using for landing. I mentioned the three I like to use are on the perch, which is the 180 out point from your touchdown point when you're on downwind. Halfway through base turn, which is usually the 500 foot point, both of those 500 feet AGL are halfway through the base turn. And then as I'm crossing the runway environment, just a quick check down, gear down, three green. Some process like that may help us from an inadvertent gear up landing. We're thankful Todd is okay, and uh, we're glad his airplane will be back flying soon, and we're grateful for him and sharing his story and give us all a chance to sit back and think about our own processes and uh, how we can prevent something similar from happening. Alongside our producer, Tyler Payneborn, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Until next time, fly safe. Hey, listeners, if you like these podcasts and you'd like to help us continue providing them, please consider a donation to help our efforts. Go to aopafoundation.org slash donate. That's aopafoundation, all one word, dot org slash donate. And thanks for your support. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.